A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, it is day three of Roland Garros, and we have just watched round one come to a close on court Philippe Chatrier with Gael Monfils limping off court, having won 7-5 in the fifth over Sebastian Baez. He signed his daughter's name on the camera. We can't quite believe what we've just seen at the end of what was already a pretty discombobulating and frenzied day at Roland Garros. We are still processing day three, folks. In fact, we'll probably use the next hour to do said processing. This is going to be a sort of group therapy session. So so buckle up, folks. Yeah, I think that'll be quite good for us, really. <laughs> I was Same was going through my head when you were going through it. It has been a day uh, and... Gail Monfils finishing it like that from love four down in the fifth set and just coming up with tennis that doesn't exist in normal situations. That was supercharged by emotion and patriotism and everything else that playing in front of your home crowd can give you. Yeah, I I mean, I've been watching Gail Monfils play tennis for 20 years and I've never seen so much of his thighs. (laughs) Was that helping? I don't know. He was cramping <laughs> so much in that fifth set that he was he was rolling his shorts up to sort of underpant level. And it was just like he was wearing underpants for the second half of that fifth set. I don't know what technique that is for dealing with cramp, but here he is having won his way through to round two of the French Open where he gets the chance to take on Holger Rune. <laughs> Which feels perfect. Enjoy. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that was wild. I have no idea how he did that. He was he was crediting the crowd, wasn't he, in his encore interview, saying, you did that, mm. you did that. And obviously Monfils was the man, the man in the middle out there. He had to make the magic happen. But he's right. Like, that doesn't happen without the wave of support behind him. He was one of those... You know, the perfect player and the perfect crowd in in harmony together. It was, oh, it was special. There was a moment 
in that fifth set when he'd retrieved one of the breaks. He was still a breakdown in the fifth, but the momentum was building and the crowd erupted in a chorus of La Marseillaise and Guermorfi started joining in singing. During the match. During the match. (laughs) It was amazing. Yeah, Matt was... We got Matt singing. He, He has been promising us that he wanted a chance and I think maybe an audience of us two as opposed to dozens of people surrounding him was probably more suited it was very harmonious matt look we have a lot to get through tonight folks so without further ado i will tell you that this episode of the tennis podcast as with all our episodes throughout roland garros is brought to you in association with on location the premium hospitality and experience provider if you don't know that by now Where have you been? You have just one more day to take advantage of our 5% discounts on packages to the US Open and to Labour Cup. Just go to tours4tennis.com forward slash podcast. Tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast. And for the US Open discount code, use the code FINALSLAM. And for the Labour Cup discount, enter the code VANCOUVER. You have until May the 31st, that's just one more day, 11.59pm Eastern Time, to use your discount. So get your skates on and check our show notes for terms and conditions. Now, just before I get into the very meat of the day and the big headlines, a quick follow-up from yesterday and the matter that we we discussed at length because we did promise you uh, any developments this of course relates to Novak Djokovic and what he wrote on the camera after his win yesterday Kosovo is the heart of Serbia he wrote Um, the French Tennis Federation the FFT which organizes the event told Reuters that there were quote no official Grand Slam rules on what players can or cannot say the FFT will not be making any statement or taking any stance on this matter. David also spoke to the ATP today and while they confirmed they do have a section for code contrary to the integrity of the game in their rules, there isn't a provision that explicitly addresses political statements. So, on to today and the big headline in a day of quite a few headlines is that Daniel Medvedev The number two seed is out. He lost to Thiago Zybic Vilge, who you might formerly have known, because we've been calling him such, as Thiago Saboth Wild (laughs) until 24 hours ago. But we've all done some heavy listening to his uh, voice note on the ATP Media bio And we really, really are trying to get his name right. And we hear it as Thiago Zybuch Vilge. David, you've been saying it on radio all day. Uh, I was told to call him Thiago Zybuch Vooch. Vooch. Crikey. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Already got it wrong. (laughs) Thiago Zybuch Vooch. Um, And I understand in a lot of Brazilian press, he's known just by the final part of his last name. So if you hear us refer to Vooch, that's Tiago. Um, he was a junior US Open champion back in 2018. So look, his talent has been known about for a long time, but he has stalled in his development. Now, there could well be a lot of reasons for that. There are some non-tennis related things that we are going to come on to talk about in relation to Vooch. But let's start by talking about the tennis this match 
all five sets of it. Grouchy Medvedev was in the house from the word go, David. Yeah, the wind was up. It was blustery. It was whipping around Court Philippe Chatrier. And it is a court that if you get wind, it plays a part. And it was really impacting things. You could see the shirt and shorts on the players billowing and gusting around. And and Medvedev was missing a few shots because his footwork wasn't quite in the right place. And he was lifting balls long as a result. But the, the truth was, he was getting knocked off the court. And that takes some doing. Uh, the, the image that went through my head very early on was of watching Aslan Karatsev do exactly to Daniel Medvedev what Tiago Zaibotsch eventually did today, which is just go for everything and take the racket out of his hands, even as good a returner and retriever as Medvedev is. And, and he battled today. He did try his heart out. He fought to the last. But this guy... I mean, I think it's a, a worthy comparison with Karatsev. He has timing and power, a clean strike off both sides, which is point-ending, even even off a, a rally, a neutral rally ball. And it makes you look at him play and you think, well, how? How on earth are you 23 and have played Roland Garros three times and never gone past the first round of qualifying before? when you can play like that. I mean, he did come through three rounds of qualifying here. He beat Dominic Cup for, for the loss of two games in the final round of it. And I was reading murmurs that this guy's in great form, but that was a staggering performance. I mean, he could have won it eat more easily. He, he, he had chances, didn't he? Yeah, he had two set points for a two-sets-to-love lead in the second set tiebreak. So he's leading by a set, gets the second set into a tiebreak, and he was 6-4, I think, in that tiebreak. And from that point, he lost four points in a row, including an absolute horror when set point down, the the point that ended up handing the set to Daniel Medvedev. And at the time, in the press room where we were watching at that moment, we did go up into the press seats for later stages of the match. In that moment, I think to everybody, that felt like a shot and a moment that was going to turn the tide of the match. We learned over the course of the match that actually... Zybotch Vuch is hitting <laughs> overheads the like of which he hit on that point all the time because that is his weakest shot by some distance. He really struggles on the overhead. And actually, it wasn't quite an overhead. It was a shot that probably should have been an overhead, but perhaps because of lack of confidence in that shot, he sort of let, let it drop and totally fluffed his lines on a volley. It was sort of, you know, it was... There was a sort of strange noise that went around the press room, wasn't there, when he missed that shot, Matt? But my goodness me, he wrestled back control of that match and it was a very topsy-turvy fifth set. We were watching up in the press seats. Nobody could hold serve for a while there and it just... It always felt to me like a match that Medvedev would sort of weirdly find a way to win. Um, So incredible credit to Vooch that that he prevented him from doing that. Before we get on to more of each, some incredible quotes from Medvedev after the match. First of all, on um, whether he, how he feels about his relationship with Clay now, because this will be the end of the clay court season for him. It's finished early. He said, 
I'm still really happy the clay is over. Um, he said, and then he just gave this really vivid description of how sort of grotty clay is. He said, I had a mouthful of clay after three games today. He said, there's clay in my bag, there's clay in my socks, there's clay in my shoes, there's clay in all of my clothes. It is horrible. And he said, I'm just fed up with clay getting everywhere. And he's talking about the top layer mm. the dressing isn't it which is all red brick dust isn't it and it it stains your white clothes and it and it does and when the the wind whips up it goes in their faces i mean it is pretty horrible i mean there was practically no clay left on the surface of philip chatre in that fifth set it all it all blown into Medvedev's mm. mouth and bag <laughs> um it was it was making for yeah just just very difficult playing conditions and yeah i mean R.I.P. Clay Court Medvedev and his and his friendship with the clay. I mean that that didn't last long. He sort of set the record straight today and sort of how he how he feels about it. I mean he's caused a he's caused a tremendous amount of carnage. I feel like in this clay court season by sort of winning Rome, getting up to the number two seeded position at Roland Garros, bumping Novak Djokovic down to number three. He slides into the bottom half of the draw, crashes out in round one, and meanwhile Djokovic is left to, you know, be on the same side of the draw as Carlos Alcaraz. He his his presence has been felt in this tournament, mm. even if it's only been short lived. And David is looking at me as if to say, "We are several minutes into this podcast, and you have not brought up the words the mix." And look, we should give David his moment. I might have a counter argument, but David, who's presenting the floor this, is who's yours. presenting this thing? That wasn't how I was the direction <laughs> I was going to take it in. Anyway, here we are, David. Off you go. Well, <laughs> it just happened like I said it would, doesn't it? Well, has it though? Abs, whoa there! You've set us up for a counter argument. Not that we've had time to prepare this. Okay, first, first of all, ha- have I not? been saying for a couple of weeks that he is not in the mix to win the French Open and he's out in the first round. You still predicted him to reach the quarterfinals so you didn't think this would happen either. Yeah but I very very <laughs> nearly put him in to lose in the first round last night. I did didn't I not, think, did I didn't I not, think he was going to win this you title. Did, you so nearly did and you didn't. You avoided those <laughs> 110 points that you would have got. Yeah I did I, I bottled it really. I mean I, I thought he would I did. I did think. Did I say he would go to the quarters and lose to Sinner? Yeah. I think that is what I expected to happen. I still thought in the end he'd probably win. And look, I didn't even think this guy would put up this sort of performance. I thought it. I thought he would cause him some troubles, and I thought other players would cause him more troubles, and then eventually Sinner would get him. That's what I thought would happen. Yeah, I think what I probably read too much into from Rome was. I maybe assume that Medvedev was now a reliable clay court player, and he's he's not there yet. I, I do think he's way better on clay than he's ever really said, and he is very capable. And I, I do stand by. I had him in the mix. I wouldn't have been that surprised if he'd gone on to win here. You know. Yeah, the mix isn't a prediction that they're going to win the title. It, I, I stand by. A Rome champion that has been world number one, that has won a Grand Slam title, that has beaten all of his closest rivals. You have to put that person in the mix. Well, there's logic to it. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't question the logic. I, I went with what I felt, mm. and I was right. And, uh, <laughs> and 
Yep, that is certainly one way of looking at it. Uh, just a, a bit of interesting analysis from Medvedev after the match. He's always so incredibly good at digesting a match and giving sort of brilliant punditry on it, even in sort of his most heated post-defeat moments. And he said the the heaviness of the balls he feels uh, will favour players that can create easy power. And he was like, I'm not that guy. Um, easy power, guys that can create easy power with heavy wrist action. He was like, like Alcaraz, like as if Alcaraz, you know, Needed needed any extra help at Roland Garros, and he and he threw Sitsipas in there as well. Did he? We threw did a he? bone. He did. Yeah, he did. Wow. Wasn't this a conversation he had in the press at Indian Wells as well? He was saying similar things like that, wasn't he? About yes. the, about how slow Indian Wells was, I think, at the time. Yeah, yeah. No, he put um, he put those two players up there in terms of their ability to generate power with their wrist and get the ball mm. through the court. Mm, wristy players he said mm. Mm. and and certainly as I watch Vooch created incredibly easy power today he won the match he took the risks they paid off a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel. And Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Now, in terms of Zybotch Vooch... um, a very helpful Brazilian journalist called Natalie Guedra from ESPN Brazil flagged a couple of very helpful articles to us today about a matter that we were previously aware of, but because Vooch hadn't, tennis-wise, been on our radar much at all, hadn't, in all that honesty, looked that deeply into, but we did look very deeply into today. This from... UOL uh, Brazil. Um, they describe uh, Vooch being a prodigious talent, the 2018 junior US Open champion, also a problematic character in a lot of people's eyes. He was issued with a restraining order against an ex-girlfriend, Tyane Lima, 
by a judge in 2021. He was also ordered to pay alimony to Lima due to his preventing the biomedical scientist and influencer from working and leaving her helpless after the end of her relationship with Vooch. Uh, Vooch failed to comply with the payments and the judge issued an order for him to do so under the threat of imprisonment. The Rio de Janeiro police also began an investigation into Vooch for the crimes of psychological violence, injury and bodily harm committed against Tayen Lima and he was indicted in June for those matters, June of 2022. If convicted, the charges would carry a custodial sentence. Vooch denies the accusation, saying that Tayen's statements were disgusting, defamatory and slanderous, and also that the false, fabricated and vindictive allegations are in no way a reflection of my character or actions. There's been no update since the indictment and charges in 2022. Uh, my understanding from speaking to Natalie and doing a little bit of research is that the Brazilian legal process is very slow um, and a trial date is yet to be set. Uh, as far as we're aware, the ATP does not yet have a code of conduct or policy relating to domestic violence in place. In October 2021, the ATP commissioned an independent safeguarding report to ensure all adults and minors involved in men's professional tennis are safe and protected from abuse, including domestic violence. In January of this year, 15 months on, they said a hiring process had recently been completed to appoint a dedicated head of safeguarding who will oversee implementation of the report's recommendations. Now, Zyboch Vuch was asked in press today about the accusations by Yannick Schneider, a freelance German investigative reporter. He said, I'm sorry to have to ask you this after a big win, but for the coverage, I need to confront you. And I think that's a that's a, a second language thing. I, he, you know, I need to address this with you is, is what was intended there. He said, according to the media, UOL Esporta, which is what I uh, just quoted there, uh, stated your ex-wife, you have been charged in June of 2022 by the Public Ministry of Rio for domestic and psychological violence against her. Since then, nothing happened in terms of a sentence. What do you expect to happen? And Vooch said the following. I don't think it's a subject we should talk about it right here. I don't think it's a question you should be making to anybody. I don't think it comes to you to decide whether it's a place to be spoken of or not. Um... Yannick then defended the question. He said, it's my responsibility as a journalist to to put this to you and to establish the facts. And Vooch replied, you can write whatever you want. By the way, I was never married, okay? So just leave that out. Uh, it was a very, very uncomfortable exchange that left the room feeling quite cold. I was in that press conference and it was... Yeah, it left the room feeling cold. And then shortly after that, we learned from Yannick that he had been accosted and threatened by a member of Vooch's management team that had accompanied him to the press conference. They tried to photograph his accreditation and quite aggressively challenging challenge him on his line of questioning. Um, Yannick stood his ground, but he was he was quite visibly shaken by the experience, which is very distressing to hear, quite frankly, Regardless of the validity of the question, I think it's a valid question. I think we all believe it was a valid question. 
regardless, no journalist should be accosted like that on the way out of a press conference. I'm not sure agents should be allowed to be in press conferences, certainly not standing at the front as they do eyeballing journalists that ask questions that they don't approve of, i.e. anything that's not a please make my player look amazing type of question. Um, and it points to something something that's up with the ecosystem of the sport on the media side of things. Yeah, it, it happens a lot. Um, and occasionally, I think when you have a very young player who is new to it, I can understand the feeling that they want to have somebody in there as as kind of support and backup and, 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 and so forth. But there is a moderator with them at all times, and it is somebody very experienced at these Grand Slams who knows them all very well because he or she will be with them week to week. Um, but I do agree with you. I, I, it is a place of work where we as journalists are there to ask questions. I agree with you. That is a valid question about something that is on record. I think Yannick did his job correctly. Uh, it is also perfectly acceptable for Vooch to not answer, to not give any information. He, he, it's, it's up to him what he, what he says in response. But the actual question is okay, is fine. And the problem is, if you do have agents in there who are who get involved, I mean, it's bad enough if they're in there because their presence can impact things. But if they get involved like that, then I think we have a problem. And uh, and I hope that that is addressed in some way because that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, absolutely. In the the whole episode, you know, I I didn't want to spend my afternoon reading about uh, domestic domestic violence allegations. I really, really didn't. And I'm sure lots of you listening thought, God, we've heard about Kosovo, we've heard about Ukraine. Like, can we just have a tennis podcast, please? And we probably all feel the same, trust me, but we feel a responsibility to to cover this stuff, so we're not going to stop doing it. But it brings us no greater pleasure than it brings you to, to hear about it, trust me, but we do feel like it's important. Um, on to hopefully happier things, although not for some of the players concerned. But anyway, let's move on to a definitely happier thing, and that is Bianca Andreescu versus Victoria Azarenka, which lived up to all of my wildest dreams and more. And I don't say that lightly because my wildest dreams were pretty wild. <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> yes, I saw Catherine's uh, Bianca Andreescu face, intensity list face, Coco Andreescu face, sort of all in one. During this match, I can. Catherine said, "I want to join in." <laughs> I don't know whether I don't know whether you meant join in the match, join in with the Canadian fans. Just you wanted to just be part of the whole thing. I mean, you were, I think, as we as we watched that final set on on Simone Mathieu. It was awesome. It was probably the best match I've seen so far this tournament. It may well remain the best match of this tournament for. For several days, I, I expect it was. Well, the main thing that stuck out to me was how different it was from the last time I watched Bianca Andreescu, which was just a few weeks ago when she lost Love and One to Marketa Vondrosheva. And by all accounts, the first set of this match, Andreescu was struggling. She was 
slumping. She was lacking in energy. She was being beaten by the better player. She was setting a breakdown and I think two break points down as well. And then it was like a fire was lit under her and she surged. Sorry, Matt, are you going to credit your source for that, the information about the first set and a half that that we missed? Uh, I don't know whether he's a friend of the pod, listener of the pod, Patrick. (laughs) who was, is, is from Belgium, and he came up to us at the end of the match and, yeah, filled in some blanks as we were, he's, he's as we were dealing with other ed- incidents. Contributed editorially, if not financially. <laughs> it, was, it was a dud, wasn't it, for a, for a set and a bit in terms of a contest, and then suddenly it Well, just we took missed off. all that. Well, I was watching my screen. Well, when we got there... I saw the scores roll over. Things... That was epic. Things hotted up. Well, that's really interesting because it's genuinely hard for me to believe that that was anything other than brilliant at any point because it was irresistible. Or I, I, I watched... Yeah, I watched from the Bianca Andrescu come back onwards and it was absolutely irresistible in every possible way. It was intense it was toe-to-toe it was aggressive it was there was just the right amount of sassy aggro you know azarenka eye rolls just <laughs> brilliant azarenka eye rolls what, you, what was your eye rolling at andrescu just taking too much time to serve you know that the andrescu kind of drama show you know they, they were kind of god there's always something type eye rolls you know mm. um oh it was it was the kind of match that can only exist on on the wta tour just it had it was just that energy and mm. um yeah it was just sort of simmering and effervescing with aggro and tension and sass and and, and the way that Andrescu was leaning into her shots on forehand and backhand, I haven't seen that for so long, putting her whole body into it with utter conviction every single time. I haven't seen that for a long time. And it it does make me realise how much I've been deluding myself about Bianca Andrescu. Obviously, everyone listening is going, we know that, Catherine, including everyone in this room. Um but I have been deluding myself because none of the tennis that I've got excited about over the last year and a half has looked like that. And I don't know whether it'll continue. I'm not sure she knows if it'll continue. Uh, we went to a press conference. That was the last thing we did today before coming home. And it was an absolute tonic at the end of the, the frenzied day, wasn't it? It was... It was really uplifting. She is, she's, she's a tonic. She's an absolute tonic. And it was this incredible line from her where she said, I'm just trying to rediscover the hunger I had in 2019. I almost found the fact that she had to do it as a comeback, maybe more encouraging from her point of view, because she was getting taken apart and it was a good performance from Azarenka. It was just flat and kind of nothingness from Azarenka, from Andrescu early on. Six two three one. I mean, that's that's not good. And suddenly she has turned that around. That isn't a flop from Azarenka. That is a an afterburners performance from Andrescu that reminds you what she's capable of and what got her to the U.S. Open. 
she said um she said something quite moving didn't she impressed about what it was that she sort of thought about it for a moment she was asked what prompted the comeback what changed and she thought for a moment then she went i'm going to be honest Mm. yeah she said she was thinking of her grandmother who had said to her that she wants to see her win another major and uh yeah and rescue said she was thinking of that when she was down in the second set and you know we've we've just heard Gail Morfis say that he was thinking of his 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 daughter I, I find it quite moving when you mm. when you know that players are yeah, playing this incredibly in, intense match, but they're still thinking of loved ones and doing it for someone else. Um, and yeah, and I find Andrescu completely fascinating because I think she's torn between constantly thinking about 2019 versus, but I'm a different person now, I'm a different player now. I think... And I, I find that when I watch her, I'm, I myself am thinking, where's 2019 Bianca But A bit like Dominic Team, Right, but that's not coming back, Bianca Andrescu 2019. That, that player has, has gone, has evolved into what Bianca Andrescu is now. And it's about making the most of, of what she's got now. And, and she, she spoke about how she feels the clock ticking, even though she's only 23. She's looking in the drawer and there's a fruvertiva. Yeah, she taps, She kept tapping at her wrist and going, there's there's all these fravertivers and Coco Goffs. She said, I'm just about to turn 23, you know. Time's a ticking. Mm. But she said she's got her fight back, mm. which again I thought was interesting because I never really felt like the fight had left. But again, comparing her today to what we'd seen over the last couple of years, there was there was more in there today. She really was stepping in and stepping on it and just refusing to lose it was it was it was the good stuff yeah it was giving that and i know i know a lot of people will have seen what gail monfils just did on on philippe chatrier and and thought oh well that validates that being the night match and it absolutely was a completely worthy night match it was electric and wonderful and everything you want a night match to be this has absolutely nothing to do with gail monfils or Sebastian Byers, although I rather suspect that Gamal Feast was what led led the charge for that to be uh, on Chatteret. But this was the match of the day for me, both on paper and in in practice. It was, as I've said, everything you wanted it to be and more. And while I, I really don't, I wince at you know the phrase this is a great advert for women's tennis as if sort of women always need to be advertising themselves and can't just be existing and being great I I don't love it but watching that today I thought there was no better possible advert to viewers fans journalists sponsors advertisers potential sponsors potential advertisers for women's tennis than that tennis match and it would have been seen by a fraction of the people that would have seen it had it been scheduled on Chatteret and that is just a fact it deserved to be in the spotlight and 
It was fantastic where it was. I loved it being on my chair. It was electric out there. The press seats are better on my chair. I had the time of my life out there. Don't get me wrong. It was wonderful. And Monfils Byers on Chatrier was wonderful too. Those things are besides the point. It's wrong that women aren't given the opportunity to to shine like the men. And it's doubly wrong that the justifications given for keeping them in the shadows are created by the people in the institutions that put them there and keep them there. That's how the patriarchy works. The stage is tilted to support the status quo of male dominance, sometimes subtly, sometimes less so. And if you're doing nothing to actively straighten it up, then the women inevitably slide off. I said that was going to be the the fun bit of the show and it's ended up being a Catherine Whitaker rant. Still well said, though. So... We move on to Barbora Krejcikova, the 2021 champion, who is out with very little fanfare whatsoever. Lost 6-2, 6-4 to Alicia Serenko. This was happening at a crazy time of day when Medvedev was happening and we were researching the Zyboch-Vuch stuff. Um, but I made a note to, to make sure I went to her press conference to see what the story was if there was a story you know Serenko good player maybe that's all it was um but there was a bit of confusion she she was only requested by Czech press anyway didn't get to go to her press conference Matt though being the intrepid journalist that he is did some did some big investigations for us in order to not let the listeners down Mm. well done Matt I uh... well, I wouldn't get too excited. <laughs> <laughs> I worked my one Czech source. Oh yeah, who is a journalist whose name I don't know. It's going well, folks. <laughs> but we always nod at each other when we pass each other in the corridor. So okay. I thought I'll go and tap him on the shoulder. Okay, wandered up to him. He was transcribing. So I thought I'll come back later. <laughs> Don't want to get this off on the wrong foot. So I did go back later and he gave me a little summary of what Barbara Krejcikova had uh, said to the Czech press. And he uh, sort of summed it up by saying, no big deal, no cry. Okay. (laughs) Which I took to mean that... She was, you know, in, in fine spirits, I suppose, even even after the loss. He said that Shurenko played a very, very good match. Craig Chikova hasn't been playing particularly well on the clay. I mean, it's it's not lost on me that Barbara Craig has declared herself part of a big four, which <laughs> I absolutely loved. That was on the 27th of March before playing Sabalenka in Miami. She's not won a lot of matches no. since then. I mean, the, the very next day, she lost in straight sets to Sabalenka. She then lost to Sabalenka again in Stuttgart, only winning five games in both of those matches. She's had a couple of wins over Danka Kovinic since then, but losses to Petra Martic, Ostapenko, Sirenko today. You're saying and... she's only beaten Danka Kovinic <laughs> since declaring herself a member of the Big Four? <laughs> In a two-month period. Mm. Um, Samsonova and uh, Wong as well. But yeah, look, really not many wins. And I think that was the point that my 
Czech friend was making that she came into this tournament in not very good form and hasn't been able to discover it here. Um, she's obviously still got the doubles, so that's always a factor in, in her you know, schedule and she's excited to get on the grass. But the little bits that I saw, she was having a really off day with the drop shot in particular. That that shot just wasn't working and yet she was just persisting with it. Um, and yeah, she was she was a name that I didn't really look at in the draw. I know she was in Igor Sviantek's section and she's beaten Igor Sviantek a couple of times in the recent past. I feel like I should have been excited about that potential fourth round match and... I never really felt like it was on just because of the form that Craig Chukov has been in and that's that's what happened. Still though, no big deal, no cry. No big deal, no cry. I'm going to use that. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How's Catherine today? No big deal, no cry. <laughs> Not always applicable, but anyway. Um, Iga Sviantek got her campaign for a third French Open title underway today. And the big news here isn't that she won, but that Christina Bookshirt was winning for a bit. <laughs> she was good for a good bit. Actually, I was, I was commentating on the first set of that. She was a breaker serve up for, for several times. I mean, there were loads of breaks of serves. She was, from ball one, trying to return the serve of Iga Sviantek from a good meter inside the baseline. Every single time it was, and she was timing it. She was, she wasn't doing a Caroline Garcia where she was sending it off in all directions. She was timing it back and she was dominating a lot of the rallies, played really, really well. But then at four all, she gets the service broken and she doesn't win another game. And it was, and, and then it became classic Sviantek. And look, I, I didn't see her press conference, but you know, in the first set, I wondered. I wondered about the health of Shvantec, whether whether she was impeded in any way. She wasn't quite on it. And then second set, she just looked her normal self. I wondered if she was quite stressed and nervous going out there after Medvedev. You know, she mm. would have been in the locker room watching the very quiet, both because of the atmosphere, but also she's watching the second seed and Rome yeah. champion go out. Honestly, if, you know, it's a it's a warning shot. I speculated isn't it? Uh, midway through that first set as to is this one of those days? You know, we're mm. going to start seeing they're almost infectious, aren't they? Upsets, and and it, mm. I did I did wonder that. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know, she's a student of the game. She would have she would have been aware of that. But no, sorry, Reggie, winning for a bit as established gets you no points. So that's now. 17 and 0? No, well, yep. 0 and 17 for, for Reggie. Yeah, and he's, he's gone for a questionable one tomorrow. Uh, Coco Goff came back for a set, from a set down for the first time this season to win today versus Rebecca Masarova. Matt was watching and like with Bianca Andreescu, had a very positive impact upon your arrival. Yes, it was uh, like that gif of uh, the super nanny who says, you guys are in crisis, I'm on my way. And I I made my way over to Suzanne Longlen <laughs> with Coco Goff down a set in, in the first round, you know, last year's finalist. And I sort of got there and 
was there for an hour and sort of wondered what all the trouble was about because she won she won eight games in a row as soon as I arrived. You needed Patrick there <laughs> to tell you what had happened mm. in the opening stages. Um, and honestly, the first point I saw, Coco Goff missed a forehand. And I thought, okay, this is what's happening. Here we go. And I, I made a mental note. You know, it may sound cruel, but I'm going to count the number of forehand unforced errors. Minutes passed and there were no more forehand unforced errors and she was totally fine. Look, it was it was a scrappy match. I don't think she played anywhere near her best tennis, but in sets two and three, she certainly protected that forehand. It wasn't it wasn't the forehand that I've seen recently with a lot of unforced errors, but she wasn't really tested. I mean, Masarova's game wasn't particularly good in, in sets two and three. There was one incident uh, in the third set where Goff chased down a drop shot and hit a hit a passing shot sort of at Masarova. And that briefly just upped the intensity um, and Masarova slightly threatened to come back into the match, but she didn't. And Goff ended up winning pretty comfortably in the end. Uh, so yeah, I think a, a nervous start, a bad start, but she got it together. She had a bit of a sort of sitsapassy type moment in her post-match interview, didn't she? Do you know what I'm talking about here? No. <laughs> you mean when? <laughs> she was really trying to say nice things, t- nice, genuine things to the Parisian crowd. She said, Paris is my favourite city in the world, which, you know, for an American is quite a big thing to say, I think. And she clearly means it you know she said I I came here for the first time when I was 10 and since then it's been my favorite place in the whole world lovely stuff and then she addressed the crowd more directly and she said I know some people don't like you guys but I love you (laughs) (laughs) I I always defend you as if she's sort of getting into debates about French people (laughs) how did they take that well quite I, I don't know if they noticed the backhanded compliment if they did, they didn't. She didn't get booed. Good. Which I would take as a, a win if yeah. I were Coco Golf. <laughs> um, first up today on Chatrier was Ange Jabeur, who I had a bit of a mental note of watch and assess fitness next to Jabeur. Um, and I thought she looked fit as a fiddle, um, very much informed against Lucia Bronzetti, who, as we discussed yesterday, uh, is coming off the back of a title. Uh, and she confessed to me, I feel like I'm the person that goes into all her press conferences and asks what's on her phone lock screen. Like, that's just... <laughs> that's the dynamic we have now. She had a look in her eye of like, I know what you're going to ask. Um, because I'd asked her in Australia, subsequent to her revealing last year at Wimbledon that she had the Venus Rosewater dish as her phone lock screen throughout. It said, have you got any Grand Slam trophies on your lock screen this year? And she said, I have two, one on my phone and one on my husband's, but I don't want to declare which one. And today she declared that the one on her husband's phone is the French Open trophy. And the one on her phone, and they're both still there, is another trophy that's not a slam. And it's been bugging me all day which one that might be. Do you get a trophy for becoming world number one? I mean, I know you do mm. the ATP side. 
I think you probably do on WTA. I'm pretty sure I've seen... I seem to remember Simona Halep getting a, a number one made out of flowers. Yes, was... you do get a trophy. I mean, she's been she's spoken about her desire to be number one, hasn't she? Mm. Yes, maybe that. Okay. I'm going to get the transcript, though, and check whether she said tournament. But anyway, that won't make for dynamic radio, so we'll, we'll <laughs> she, press on. She was good today, and... I, like you, I was a little... I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, she'd said she was fit and healthy in her pre-tournament press conference, which was encouraging, and absolutely, it, it looked that way. And it, her variety, I think, ended up being the, the perfect antidote to Bronzetti's game, really. I mean, she just hit so many drop shot winners... Uh, and sometimes fake drop shot winners as well. It was she was just deploying everything that she had at her disposal. It was just it was just about keeping her concentration, I think. And what's a fake drop shot winner? Where she went to hit a drop shot, you know, clearly took the hand off the racket, and Bronzetti started moving in. And instead of doing a drop shot, she just sort of pushed it and got it deep in the court. So Bronzetti had sort of run past the ball I bet that made her feel good <laughs> yeah it was you've got to be good to to play that shot yeah. I think uh, Constant yeah. Lestien was playing those <laughs> the other day yeah she was great she doesn't say tournament so I think you might be right ah well you'll just have to ask her again won't you <laughs> If she says no comment, then you'll know you're right. Well, no, she did say, she says at the end of the answer, we, we can talk more, if I keep winning, we can talk more about it. She said, so let's see, I may be able to get to the second week and from there we can discuss more of the pictures and maybe add more and more pictures in the phone. So I'm taking that as a verbal contract that we can, that She's I can ask her again next week. for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's it in terms of, Notable news and results from day three of the French Open. I can't quite believe we've actually made it through round one. Mm. Yeah. We've, had, we've had a record number of deciding set matches in the men's singles. I think, I think 21 out of 64 have gone to a fifth set, <gasps> which is a, an open era record. Mm. And that's not Matt's stat. No, it's not. Wow. I, I made a bit of a mess again of my stat today, but trialed it on Twitter, realised I got it wrong, and okay. it will be correct in the newsletter. It's the new system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than send it out to the newsletter and then have to send an apology like we did the other day. So sign up to the Blummin' newsletter, all right? <laughs> yeah, you just, you just never know what you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> you might get an apology from Matt out of it. <laughs> I found it very reassuring that Matt is indeed human, quite frankly. Tomorrow's schedule. Uh, we start on chat show with Camilla Georgie against Jessica Begula. Then it's Caroline Garcia against Anna Blinkova. Carlos Alcaraz third up, taking on Taro Daniel. And in the night session, Novak Djokovic against Marton Fuchovic. Uh, Roberto Caballas Baina. The opponent for Stefanos Tsitsipas. I think that could be tricky. Von Drosheva Kazakina, second up on Longlen. Oh, I'm going to watch uh, Then that. Sabalenka. Then, oh, then Luca Puy and Scamin Nori. I'll just stay there. He's going to have to <laughs> serve his way through the Marseillaise again, Cameron Nori. Uh, Storm Hunter against Alina Svitolina, first on Mathieu. That'll be why 
Svitolina wasn't in the box to watch Guillermo Feast this evening, presumably. Second up, Varinka against Kokonakis. Then Mute Rublev. He could drive Rublev a bit around the bend, I think, Corentin Mute. And then another French player, Leolia Jean-Jean, is last up on Mathieu. Ostapenko's in action. Hugo and Bear. Uh, Hubert Hercatch, who we've established Matt isn't interested in watching. Luca Van Asch, talented young French player. Uh, a lot of people talking about him. That is all on the schedule for tomorrow when we will be back with another tennis podcast. We have our mascot, Phoebe. Phoebe made her Instagram debut for 2023 today. She was very well received. Good work, Phoebe. Phoebe is a delight. We have our mascots. David has Maisie. Right, Maisie, 11 points to us today. Could have been 110 if I hadn't bottled it. Uh, I've got Xenia. Uh, Zenya, our player, uh, got two games today. So um, we're taking it easy with a Carlos Alcaraz prediction for tomorrow. <laughs> How much do you get if you win? 10 points, okay. which is the minimum. <laughs> um, but I just need a, sh- a ship steadier, yeah, you know? We all need those, yeah. don't uh, Matt's take notice, Reggie. Mm. A ship steadier. Mm. Mm. Uh, Matt's got Darwin. Yes, we got points today. Nicholas Jarry. Oh, the resurgent Nicholas Jarry. Mm. I'm quite big on Nicholas Jarry this week. Okay. Need him to keep winning. Has he got to go to the quarters for you? Mm. Quarterfinals. That's mm. quite ambitious. It that is. That would be his biggest run since being the reserve for Team World at the Labour Cup. Indeed. Mm. And, his t- and his title last week. Yeah, but still, being being reserved for <laughs> Team World at the Labour Cup. What a time. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Hello, Billie Jean. Uh, we have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And we have shout outs. For Ruth Summerfield in Wimbledon. Right, Ruth. In Wimbledon. How prescient. Mm. Hello, Ruth. I can't think of any tennis Ruths. No. Only Bader Ginsburg, which is a good one. My best childhood friend was called Ruth at primary school. That'll do. She knocked my front tooth out with with her lunchbox. (laughs) But there were good times as well. (laughs) Thank you, Ruth. (laughs) Thanks, Ruth. We've got Mallory Mapes Couture. Oh, Mallory? Hello. Mallory is in Vermont. Oh, I've always wanted to go to Vermont. That's where Emily Maitlis goes on holiday. It was, yeah. She did an emergency podcast mm. from there, didn't she? Maybe I'll go to Vermont she was to do on an a emergency lake podcast. And it looks lovely. That does sound like the sort of holiday you would have, David, where you end up having to do an emergency <laughs> <Yes>. podcast. <laughs> You, you two stop me from taking the equipment. Mm. Um, like Moller Mallory. Mm. Suzanne Longlin's rival. Mm. Great name. Yeah. Like the name Mallory. Thanks, Mallory. Thank you, Mallory. And finally, we have Mark A. Prince Jr. Oh, what a name. What? Go on, Mark. Who is in Harlem. Amazing. Like Mark Philippousis. Yes. I thought you were talking about Harlem then. <laughs> I'm going to have to tell you that Mark Philippoussis 
No. It's not. Wasn't going there. <laughs> like Mark Andreas Husler. Oh, very good. Who I think might have won today. Certainly played today. Or maybe yesterday. Feels like a long time Is ago. He's a tennis player anyway. Yes. Mm. Uh, thank you, Mark. Yeah, cheers, Mark. That's... I'm not sure... I'm not sure that was the tennis mark he was looking looking to be linked to. But anyway, there you go. You just never know what you're going to get with these <laughs> shout-outs. Woodford! If, <laughs> if you would like to get yourself a shout-out or an intro or just become a friend of the Tennis Podcast to get access to our illustrious back catalogue of Bocco... Bonus content. Bonus content. It's not sticking. Then I you can become... It. It's already stuck. It's out there in the world. It's not... Specific know, to us, people are doing it. I'm I need just, to get it in my old I'm head. I'm just getting us on the, on the train. Um, then become a friend of the Tennis Podcast. The link to do that, as always, is in our show notes, as is the details of how to subscribe to the newsletter. It is very easy. It's a no-brainer. 99.99999% of the time, Matt's stat is entirely accurate. <laughs> that is a promise from us to you. And it's... It's fun when it's not. There's only Catherine who hasn't got to make, hasn't made an apology yet in the last month because I did one the other day, didn't I? Yes, by sending an email meant for about sixty people to about five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, sorry, everybody. Shout out to Woolly who's still working her way through the carnage that that caused. <laughs> Hello, Woolly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look we'll be back with another one of these tomorrow thank you for listening we'll speak to you then